What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another NBA team look ahead. That train is rolling on. We are on to my beloved and despised New York Knicks. And we are joined by the only beloved and the legendary Andrew J. Claudio. He is a, a producer or the producer extraordinaire for Knicks Film School. Follow him on Twitter if you do not already at Andrew J. Claudio, C-L-A-U-D-I-O underscore. Andrew J. Claudio underscore. I always forget the underscore. I don't know why. Mm. Uh, among the many questions I will ask you during this podcast, Andrew, mm-hmm. this is the most important one. How the heck are you doing? Oh, I, I, that's a loaded question because, you know, I'm a Mets fan and, you know, the last coming to us from hibernation, apparently. Yes, thought. apparently uh, uh, the, the sun came up today. Don't get me wrong. Um, I have some friends that were wondering if it would for me and wondering if I'd be OK. Obviously, you are one of them. Uh, for those that you that do follow baseball, you understand how uh, soul crushing any time a playoff loss can happen. And it's even worse when you lose at home. It's even worse when just a week ago, you also lost the division in Atlanta. Um, second time in a couple of years, a New York team that wears blue and orange got their season ended by an Atlanta team on the rise. Shout out Trey Young. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's it, I'm fine. I was telling you a little bit before the pod that the Mets are the only team I think that could still like ruin a day. For me, and I don't know if that's like got something to do with the fact that like covering the Knicks the way we do for Knicks film school has just changed the way I view their game. Inoculated and, you. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I more contextualize it better. Um, but yeah, it stings. And for those of you that don't follow baseball, don't these three game sample sizes that completely erase 161 game, 162 game sample sizes is not the way to do things. Stick with basketball. Trust me. This is not not good for anybody. But yeah, I'm I'm okay, Dan. I, at least I will be eventually. I don't watch baseball, but I was aware that they lost, and I almost reached out to confirm that you still wanted to podcast <laughs> the day after. But I was like, you know what? He picked it, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna roll the dice and hope that that he's okay enough to come on. I've got a better story for you. So, I as I mentioned, ten days ago, the Mets were up by a game in their division um, against Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves, and they were going into Atlanta for three games. All they had to do, all they had to freaking do, was win one game. And they would have been at least tied for the division and have the tiebreaker with three games to play. And they got swept on Thursday night. I looked at stub uh, one of the I don't know who sponsors us. So I'm going to make sure that I get it correctly. Um, I think it was SeatGeek, though. And I looked at the tickets for Monday's game where if the Mets had won twice in Atlanta, that's the clincher. And I looked for all at all three games. And so I texted a buddy of mine like, should we just like pounce on this now? These are seven dollar tickets, like I seven bucks to go to a, a division clinching game at City Field would be worth it, and we pounced, and then that game never happened. I never even went to the game, and luckily enough, Monday's game got rained out, so I got a credit for the amount that I spent on the tickets. So I'll probably use it on like a, a Knicks game or a Jets game in the future. But yeah, I, I touched the money a little too early and counted my my chickens, and unfortunately. Uh, they never hatched. Um, and in two back-to-back weekends, not only did the Mets not win the division, not only did that game not matter, but the season ended. So it just goes to show you that uh, the superstitious sports fan may be a little nuts, but not completely on, like not completely um, wrong in their superstitions. You know, they may be less likely to get hurt emotionally. Yes, exactly. 
better to be detached than emotionally uh, driven by the watching of sports teams. But I digress. So Speaking the Knicks, of emotional abuse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Knicks. Um, I think with this team specifically, I mentioned when I sent you the outline that it was hard to distill them down to just like a podcast worth of questions. And I think mm -hmm. a big thing is you can get too caught up in what happened in the offseason. I think it's important to we need to project ahead and look at this actual team now. However, for people who may not listen to KFS and because I haven't talked to you since then, since we recorded the day before. Literally the day before. Yeah. How what is just your reaction to the way that the Donovan Mitchell process and then ultimate trade talks panned out? It's important that you ask about the process because that's what I didn't know the day of. And the day that Donovan Mitchell got traded to the Cavaliers, originally I was like, you know what? This asking price is apparently ridiculous. There's no way the Knicks should be doing three unprotected first round picks when you're not as close as Cleveland was to contending, let alone like being a perennial playoff team. Um, as, as high as I am on Jalen Brunson, him and Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell, I have so many questions about the rest of the roster after that and how you build the rest of the roster out with less draft capital. Um, having said that, as happy as I was in the moment that the Knicks didn't do the trade, as the reports came out that they made themselves a significant offer. You know, the last one being from Woj that it was RJ quickly, Fournier, two unprotected firsts, a third protected but like top five protected first, which meant it wasn't the Bucks, or what it wasn't. Well, like the Bucks pick was just going to be a dump Fournier somewhere. So the third protected first round pick being top five, like it makes no sense. So the only way that becomes a Knicks pick is that only way the Knicks get to retain that pick is if they finish with the worst record in the league or get some lottery luck, which you're not planning on even capturing if Donovan Mitchell is on your team. I get it's like a fail-safe plan that if like we're so bad in 2029, then at least, you know, we we have this fail-safe of we get the number one pick and we're fine, or a top five pick and we're fine. But that's just like, if that's the only thing that stopped you from being, having Donovan Mitchell on your team, then why is that top five protection even there? I digress. As the last like two weeks have gone on and, We've gotten closer to this, the season and how any projections I have for the team and, and hearing that how close they were. And then you look at the roster and how much consolidation it really still needs. I kind of wish they pulled the trigger on it. Like, I'm not necessarily saying it would have been a responsible choice, but you almost wonder with all of these different mouths to feed on the current roster and the two different. I made, I made the did you watch Breaking Bad? No, I did not. Okay, so I'll make this quick. The whole premise of the show is that Walter White, played by Brian Cranston, has uh, he he's because he's a chemistry teacher. He knows the formula to cooking meth better than any meth cook throughout the land. And as a result, he finds out he's dying of cancer. And in his last, you know, final days, he wants to leave his family a lumpy sum of money. And so he gets into the drug, de not drug dealing, the drug creating business mm -hmm. um to try and like make some money before he dies um he gets better and heals and then the pride of being the most successful at something and like a drug lord takes over but he's still like masking it as like a noble dying high school chemistry teacher and husband and, and father and whatnot and it's like two versions of one person and then there's a scene in season three where somebody calls him out on it like it's either one way or the other. No more half measures. You have to be full measure 
yeah, like go in, go all in on either way. But if you go both ways or try to do both or do two half measures, it's gonna like blow up in your face. And if you've watched Breaking Bad, ladies and gentlemen, you know it eventually does. I say all of that because my message to Leon Rose when we finally put the Donovan Mitchell summer to bed was no more half measures. You're either all in on a team with all of these young kids that has Emmanuel quickly and seeing what his ceiling is and RJ Barrett and Quentin Grimes and Obi Toppin and all of these, these kids that you're willing to put in the Donovan Mitchell trade, or you should have gone all in on this roster of veterans with Evan Fournier and Julius Randle and Donovan Mitchell and Derek Rose and head coach Tom Thibodeau. But my fear is that where this now leaves the Knicks is two halves of one solid plan while also being like a fine seven or eight seed in the Eastern conference. And I wonder if the Donovan Mitchell trade would have at least been like, well, we got the guy and he's 25 years old and you've got a decade to build around him because I would have been very confident that like the place he wanted to go to, he would have resigned. Um, yeah. I, to, to wrap it all up, I, I, I'm fine that they have the assets and I'm curious who the next guy that's going to get attached to the Knicks will be. And there's no guarantee he's going to have the hometown ties that Donovan Mitchell had. Um, but yeah, I, I look back on all of this and uh, <laughs> created a summer of great content, but didn't exactly <laughs> end with the, the great result. I'm also just to go back to the Mets, Donovan Mitchell being a big Mets fan. I'm realizing now the day he got traded to Cleveland, was the beginning of the Mets collapse. He got traded on September 1st. The oh Mets boy. started collapsing on September. Oh my God, I didn't put that together. I, uh, Andrew's in the middle of having just a mental the breakdown. PTSD the PTSD that's yeah. going to happen now. Holy cow. So the Knicks didn't trade for Donovan Mitchell. And then as a result, the Mets collapsed. That's, uh, that's not my narrative. I'm going with that for the rest of my life. I would echo pretty much everything you said. Um, with the caveat, I still wouldn't have done it, but it's also I wouldn't have done it for all the reasons you outlaid, and I think that's the biggest concern to take away from this is they actually did put a pretty substantial offer out there, so it's fair to be concerned about their process. But looking at the cost, what it was, whether they whether the Knicks offer was accepted or whether they had to beat the Cavs offer and, and Utah preferred it, whatever it was, the cost of acquiring a superstar now is almost prohibitive. It is prohibitive unless you already have at least one. And so if you're plan was always to trade for one and you're only realistically going to have the ammo for one with what they cost you need someone who's in house to already be that guy or that partner and that puts a ton of pressure on the development of rj barrett moving forward to yeah me. i will say and i know the question's coming about jalen brunson um i could have talked to myself into jalen brunson being the other guy i understand that's a really small backcourt to win anything significant around like we saw in Portland them try to win with CJ and Dame for all those years and it never amounts to anything but like one trip to the conference finals when they got swept by Golden State um having said that like I'd love to the Knicks in the conference finals are you kidding me I'd love to have that problem just once in this century um but like I I agree that the result is probably fine I cannot say I'm confident with the process or okay with the process, which makes it even worse. I can't like commend Leon Rose for like walking away. Cause he didn't, I think he expected a call back. Can you beat the Cavs offer? And they didn't call back because they were tired of negotiating with the Knicks for the entire summer. And the Knicks ended up not getting them and have done an excellent job of 
spinning it to the media that they'll talk to that they uh they they are happy with the current guys in house then no no way shape or form do they try to trade them to utah moving right along just in case we have anybody with a twitter handle with source code um preceded by nick's fan in their handle <laughs> don't want to get into the media agreements uh jalen brunson what type of impact do you, you, we've seen him a little bit in preseason now. What type of impact do you envision him having on this roster? What are you most excited about to watch? And are, are there any level of concerns of just adding that third ball handler into not like necessarily a crowded hierarchy, but it does change the offensive hierarchy. A little yeah, bit. It's funny. Like the, the, the drama and the, the off the court distraction of like, will he or won't he talk to the media with Leon Rose and will they or won't they trade for Donovan Mitchell? shouldn't distract from the fact that the Knicks got better. The Knicks absolutely added talent to a team that, you know, overachieved exponentially two years ago and then regressed back to the mean and still won 37 games last season. And now you're adding Jalen Brunson. And I hear you about the primary ball handler concerns, especially next to whatever version of Julius Randle we're about to get through two preseason games the fact that he's going to have the ball in his hands the most is such a welcome sight. Cause he clearly is the best player on the team. He's clearly the most dependable creator on the team, whether it be some of the kickouts he's had to RJ, he, his numbers in the second preseason game don't look as great, but if you watch the film, he's got so many kickouts to Cam Reddish and Julius Randall and RJ Barrett and only RJ was hitting those threes. So there was like, you missed a chance at a really good night from statistically, at least assist wise from, from Jalen Brunson. I love that he drives as much as he does. Cause Tibbs loves that type of creator. You look at how he used Derek Rose back in Chicago. Now he's got not like nowhere near as good as MVP Derek Rose, but he's got a, a point guard that will drive to the paint. Um, consistently. Because it's not prided on explosion it's a safer driver too. Like, it's like, we don't have to worry about this guy blowing out his ACL. Well, so as a result, it's more cerebral. So he'll get to the line more often as well. He went nine for nine from the free throw line on the second preseason game. And like, it's after game one where he was just like making every shot at the rim. So, you know, if his shot's not falling, he didn't shoot well in the second game, but in the first game it was, and he was able to make everything close to the rim. He makes made a ton of mid range shots as well. Um, and look, I understand there was this this narrative that like they overpaid for Jalen Brunson. I, I know you and I have disagreed with the things they did on draft night to make room for Jalen Brunson. Um, the Knicks haven't had a point guard this good outside of Stefan Marbury. And for three weeks, now friend of the Knicks Film School podcast, Jeremy Lin. And that's it. Like the next person I go to is Raymond Felton. And I'm not being facetious here that might actually be the fourth best point guard the Knicks have had in the last 20 years um so I say all of that with like the the fact that we have one is so refreshing to Knicks fans right now and getting to watch him be the point guard for this team is is really gonna be a, a happy sight to see over the next four years yeah and the people that are still mad about his contract uh, we've already gotten into both the contract you need to be viewed just like he's like the 15th highest paid guard in the league that's that, totally fine that list also is also going to keep getting longer as the cap spikes right and that's the other thing is it has to be viewed in the constant new cap we've talked about that at length and um so we can talk and we also talked the process by which they got there which i think is what's actually the question we've talked about that at length so i won't get into that jalen brunson he's going to be i think great for this team i think him and rj 
are a very natural fit. Uh, but that being said, in your estimation, what is the next frontier for RJ? And I could mm. like I went into listing things that I would want for him where it's better finisher because we've seen like the volume at the rim go up towards the end of last season and the efficiency was touch and go to put it kindly even when he was doing that. Does he need a, a pull up mid range jumper, a pull up three pointer? Does he need to take and make more of those fadeaways? What does what is the biggest barrier in your mind separating him from stardom? You you hit it on his finishing the to host of the Knicks Film School podcast, John Macri, laid out some very specific analytical benchmarks for him to hit. Um, a certain percentage in the restricted area is one of them. A certain percentage from the free throw line is one of them. Way more pull-up threes than just catch and shoot. Like two seasons ago, he hit 41% from three, 40% from three. And it was because he feasted on wide open threes in the corner when Julius Randle was playing like LeBron for a season. Um and he's going to have more catch and shoot opportunities with this point guard. Um, if he's able to finish 60%, 55% from the restricted area, then that, that 37 game sample size or 35 game sample size, I forget which it is from December 31st to the end of March where he was averaging like 24 a game on fine efficiency is going to be even better. And you hope he can sustain that for an entire season. I wonder with, with, I know that I know Julius Randall conversations coming. I'm pretty sure it's the next question. Um, but I look at RJ and if he, this is where I, I commend Benji, our, our film analysis guy. Um, he's been, his shooting form has gotten better as well to the point where I'm more confident that that catch and shoot player will help him like, raises efficiency while also getting better at just hopefully on his own, getting better at finishing at the rim. So all of this to say, yeah, getting fit, finishing better in the restricted area, as well as just replicating that person we saw for that, that stretch in the second half of the season um, over the course of a full year. I think I would agree with you because I don't think having, while I do think like off the dribble shooting might be the singular, most valuable skill in the league. I also don't think it's necessarily essential. And a lot of comps have been made with RJ Barrett to playing more so in the vein of Jimmy Butler. Uh, I think that's smart. I'm just, I hope that the finishing he'll have more space this year. Uh, Hopefully the finishing just gets better. Cause even during that stretch, you're talking about last season, he was at like 52.3% in the restricted area. That's like 10 percentage points below the league average. And so that's something there's room for growth. I'm interested to see whether he gets there. Part of whether he gets there though, is I'm still curious as to what type of agency he has in the offense. Now that Brunson, and then this leads into my Julius Randall question that Randall is there. Do you see a scenario in which Julius Randall can be part of a larger offensive ecosystem where he's setting more screens, rolling, popping, hitting, just set jumpers. And even if you can envision him being that player, making quicker decisions, whatever, do you see the Knicks? using him as that player are they going to gravitate towards more high usage julius randall so this could have been the entire podcast i gotta be honest with you dan like i'm I'm happy to talk about rj and his his uh his uh potential this season i'm always happy to talk about um mets heartbreaks and whatnot the number one question for that is self-harm i think if you're i just it's not self-harm it's therapy is what it is because then i'm able to get it out and and verbalize what i've been internalizing this entire time um the number one question for the Knicks this year is what version of julius randall they're gonna get um we 
spent most of our offseason coverage of the Knicks with the notion and the mentality that the best version of the Knicks is one with him not on it. And when the reality came in, as we just like, we scoured the league for content creators and was like, I mean, you know this from the, the 30 teams that you're talking to right now. Um, like every team has different issues. And as much as like we thought going into it, well, maybe another team won't see the issue that Julius Randle is. No, everybody knows. Everybody saw his effective field goal percentage. Everybody saw what he became as a high usage player. The only person worse than Julius Randle last year with that kind of usage was Russell Westbrook. And that's another thing that is not a problem. I think the Lakers would even want They'd rather just take the expiring contract. That is Russell Westbrook rather than four more years of Julius Randle. So it's a complicated question. Um, Do I believe Julius can fit in a larger offensive ecosystem through two games? He has Um, he's deferred. He's been, fine with with Jalen Brunson running the show at times there was a stretch it's funny game two the preseason he took like he had he had like a run in the first quarter where he had four assists three rebounds and one shot attempt and it was like he's fine being passive here and this like this version of Julius Randle is is perfect where he's not forcing anything all of his all okay so he had three shot shot attempts but it was four assists and they were all threes, like catch-and-shoot threes from, from Jalen Brunson. He missed all of them, but, like, you're fine if he's not the focal point of your offense anymore, the main creator, because I don't think he's that good a creator. He, like, can create at times as a third option, but I think that's what Julius Randle at his best is probably going to have to be as a third option on a really good team. And then the third quarter happened. After the first half where it was like, this is a, a controlled, passive as part of the offense, Julius Randle, and you'll take it. And then the third quarter, they ran the entire offense through him. And it was, let's let us let him get his points. Now, look, it's the preseason. So maybe they went into the second half saying, all right, we ran the offense through Jalen and RJ in the first half. Now let's see what a Julius Randle-led offense can be in the third and just get these, these sets out the way. Um, and, of course, the Knicks blew – the lead at the time it was at 20 and it went down to nine. And then the second unit came in, but the second unit also factors into this um, because as much as I'd love to say that the Julius Randall conversation is like, you know, a big question at, on the court and like how he fits well with RJ and how he fits well with Jalen Brunson and can it work? Maybe, or maybe not. The other issue they have is an Obi Toppin issue. And like, like anybody outside of Nick's lane doesn't understand this. The, ceiling for Obi Toppin that some Knicks fans believe some of which might be on this podcast right now uh, is really high and seeing what he can be like the analytics world loves this kid. He's he doesn't need the ball to score his points. He had four breakaway dunks like the one that went around Twitter the other night of him going through the legs was outstanding. I've seen him do it before, though. What I haven't seen him do a lot is it four threes, one of which was a pull up three. Like it's it's something I have like I've barely seen from RJ and I saw from Obi Toppin in a preseason game. So I'm actually like really high on Obi. So as a result, if Julius is gonna be the third option, man, is this gonna create a thing if 
Obi Toppin, the version we saw for the last 11 games where he was getting a solid, consistent rotation minutes and not just eight minutes of standing in the corner. Um, does this create like a the worst version of a quarterback controversy in the NBA in the NBA? Because it's who's gonna start at the power forward for the Knicks. But like the Knicks might actually be a better team if Obi is the conversation in the starting five rather than Julius Randle. And how they rectify that will be fascinating to see. I don't think that's a conversation they'll have as long as Julius Randle's on the team, at least not this season. Which is going to be the thing. Like, do the fans dictate that? Because you know how Madison Square Garden can be when they don't like a player. And if OB Toppin is cooking and Tibbs takes him out after six minutes because he refuses to play them together and Julius is having one of his two for 11 games, this this fan base is going to be ravenous. And I'm not saying that you should make decisions based off of what the fans want, but I do know an owner who has made decisions off of what the fans want. And look, maybe I... I'm naive with this because I, I haven't seen a larger sample size, but the sample size I have seen from high, not high usage, high minutes, OB topping because it doesn't require a lot of usage, is a really good one that I think the Knicks can compete with. And I have only seen one version of that with Julius Randle, and it was with no attendance. So I'm I'm very curious to see if the Knicks, like I agree with you with, They'll never start Obi over Randall. I wonder if they eventually have to choose one of them. And if they choose the right one is probably the bigger question. I think two things. There's two things that could happen is one. I think if Obi could force a conversation, if I think the biggest thing from him is, yeah, I don't need him hitting off the dribble threes, but if that's what he's going to do fine. But if he's in addition to scoring within the flow of the offense, getting on the break, if he's hitting catch and shoot threes, just set threes, that's going to force a really difficult conversation somewhere. You could also, I know Tibbs doesn't want to do this. I know he says that the numbers don't like them. And look, the numbers defensively do not like them. Uh-huh. Um, but you you could just play Julius Randle and Obi Toppin together. That is a solution that is staring you right in the face. But he's not going to. Like, he's not, I'm just saying that would be, and if you're not going to do that. I agree. I agree. He's not gonna like, that's the tough part about it is like you, John, Zach Lowe, me, every person that watches basketball, you should probably play Obi and Randle together. What is Tom Thibodeau not going to do that? Like, I, I agree. That is the solution to him getting to 22 minutes rather than the 16. He's probably going to play until Tibbs gets fired, but like, it's not going to happen. Like 48 minutes of rim protection is Tom Thibodeau's religion and that's, unfortunately, that is what reigns supreme right now. I did wonder, though, because I thought, I, I think, Isaiah Hartenstein was one of the best signings of the offseason. Mm-hmm. And because he gives you that rim protection while also having a little bit of stretch in addition to his passing in case Obi Top is not hitting his threes, you can just tether those two together. And maybe if you have to just run the hockey-style front courts where it's Hartenstein and Toppin, like they mirror each other's minutes, and then are you able to sprinkle in? Like, can you trim a little bit from Julius? There also might be nights where Mitchell Robinson's in foul trouble, as we all know. So I'm hoping that they'll figure out a way to scrape together 20 plus minutes for Obi Toppin, but it feels like there should be more than that, which is what makes this whole discussion so difficult. But what have been your early impressions of Isaiah Hartenstein, his fit, how much he'll be used, etc.? Love having a stretch five, like a real stretch five, not Tosh Gibson taking threes. This is a three, a, a center who can consistently take threes and it's within the flow of the offense. And you're confident that they'll actually go in more often than not. Um, yeah, I I think there might be some games he closes too, where like you said, Mitch is in foul trouble, or the Knicks are just better on the court with Hartenstein. Um, 
I was, and this goes back to what I was saying before, where before the summer of Donovan Mitchell started, I was very content with like, all right, you got Brunson, you got Hartenstein. Now find a trade partner for Randall and it's a complete off season. And as the off season kept going, um, you know, it, it, had a different expectation and now it's tough for me to then say, well, you still got Hartenstein. You still got Brunson. Um, that's still a successful off season. Uh, but yeah, as he makes this second unit so much more elite too, that you can go not necessarily five out, but you can just give teams different looks and maybe create more spacing um, because you don't have Nerlens Noel or Mitchell Robinson or Taj Gibson, no disrespect to any of them, but like you can actually play with some of the more, uh, modern teams that aren't dead set on like they their center can do more things than the Knicks centers used to. And there's no excuse not to play him enough because he does give you rim protection in mm-hmm. a different to like that contemporary stretch. But maybe Tibbs will find a way to not play him enough anyway. Uh, <laughs> do you buy this expansion of Mitchell Robinson's offensive game to include the the hook shots that he's talking about as counters like off the glass or when he's catching the ball? He was. I'm not even. He shot 80 percent on hook shots last year. The caveat to that is he took five of them. That's gonna say but, how many did he take. <laughs> I put it in the notes. He only took five. Uh, of them. Okay, he took five of them. Okay. Um. I listen. I'm an. I have an open mind. I'll believe it when I see it. Is what I'll say. I think Mitchell Robinson is in the role. He's one of the best offensive rebounders in the league. Thibodeau thinks he is the best offensive rebounder in the league. Um, I am fine with the version of Mitch that the Knicks paid for and what they have. If you ask other people in the Knicks film school community, that contract is going to be very tradable as it ages. Um, especially as we mentioned, when we were talking about Brunson as the cap goes up. Um, I, I do not have offensive expectations for Mitchell Robinson is my, my short answer here. I think he, is exactly fine as like a Tyson Chandler where you don't have to call a single play and he just picks up the trash that comes off the rim because he's an elite offensive rebounder. It's fair to probably just not have expectations for him. Yeah, Um, offensively. Look, starting lineups, I think they're a fun discussion to have. They are overstated. However, I do think they can contribute to what's already log jammy rotations, which brings us to Evan Fournier. If the Knicks, (laughs) as expected, start Evan Fournier, are you worried about one or more of IQ cost a first round pick Cam Reddish and Quentin Grimes getting squeezed out of, of minutes or even one of them getting squeezed out of the rotation altogether? So I'm back and forth on, on this question because like when Tibbs said that thing about Fournier being the front runner, it came out the next day that Quentin Grimes is in a boot. Like he, his his foot, he's had this foot issue for the last week or two, like since training camp opened. And I think he said the front runner for like to start on opening night because I don't know the health of my other two guard options. You know, like I, I, th- I do think it's telling that they sat Fournier the second game of the season um, for rest. So that way Cam Reddish could get a start just to see what it was. Because I do think Tibbs wants to consider a a bench unit that has Fournier on it. Um, I don't think that door's closed of Grimes starting over Fournier. I, I really do want to give Tibbs the benefit of the doubt that he sees what we all see, especially a guy that values defense 
the way that he does. And he's probably going to value what Grimes could bring to the starting rotation defensively over Fournier. And look, I actually think, and like you're going to ask about quickly in a, in a, in a little bit, I know, but the Fournier starting aspect of this, I don't think guarantees he closes, which is honestly more important to me. There will be games where Quentin Grimes is cooking and he leaves him in for Fournier. There will be games that Emmanuel quickly is cooking and he leaves him in for Fournier. He did it all of last year where when Grimes, when when Fournier would have one of his one for nine first halves. All right, I'm gonna go with the hot hand down the stretch. It's actually making shots because what you are is a jump shooter at heart. Um, so yeah, I I don't think that door's closed on Fournier having a, a lesser role. Plus, just I know I shouldn't care about optics. I know Tib doesn't care. Tibbs doesn't care about optics. But if you read the reports from the, the summer of Mitchell that Quentin Grimes was a deal breaker in some of these trades, if Evan Fournier's backup is a deal breaker in a Donovan Mitchell trade. What are we doing here? Like the day I saw the Tibbs hot presser about Fournier being the starter, I was like, so Fournier's backup is why we're not, we don't have Donovan Mitchell. I'm going to log off for the day and go watch a movie. Cause I can't take any of these ramifications right now. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't close the door on Fournier as a backup in, in the not too distant future. I do think it is important, though, even though, like you're saying, it's who closes games when you're looking mm-hmm. at the larger rotation of if you have RJ, Jalen Brunson penciled in for 30 plus, and now you have to fill out the one, two, three spots. You want to see Grimes. You want to see Reddish. You know, Derek Rose is in there. and You want Emmanuel quickly to get ample minutes. Fournier factors in there, too. It just if he's starting, it just gets inherently harder to cap his playing time enough to ensure that it's not just about who closes, but we need to see these guys on the floor throughout the course of the other 43 minutes of the game. And it gets harder to juggle that if Fournier winds up being your starter. If it's because Quentin Grimes was in that boot that a fan saw in a photo that the Knicks tweeted out, which is objectively hysterical, (laughs) um, then yeah, it's certainly more excusable. But that I am concerned about, aside from like the OB development, is how committed are they to seeing what they have in not just Reddish and Grimes, but like Emmanuel Quickly, who just sometimes feels like he might be out of their plans if you try and read between the lines and like let's start with Grimes here I think a lot of people nationally were just shocked that some of the Knicks prospects were viewed so highly by the Knicks in these part of that is they clearly you don't watch enough but also that part of that's just on the Knicks because they don't inflate these guys roles until the Mm. game really don't fucking matter and no one's gonna watch those um what is it about Quentin Grimes that most impresses you um, through the basketball that he's played? And what do you see? Do you envision him as just someone who's three and D or do you think we've seen it in mm-hmm. summer league? You see him as someone who could do a lot more off the dribble work on, on offense. You just answered the question. The summer league stuff we saw from him showed someone that could do way more than just catch and shoot, you know, where last season it felt mostly that it was like catch and shoot or pick and pop three pointers from him. And during summer league, you got to see what it was like when he was the primary offensive like creator. And like, I'm not saying he's this guy. I'm really not. When I, when I throw the name, I'm going to throw at you, but there was some aggregator alert. Andrew J. Claudio says (laughs) there is some like Jason Tatum, like moves from him. And I'm not saying he's Jason Tatum. Like if you want to say he's like to summer league, what Jason Tatum is to the NBA. Fine. But like, the ability to like just throw the ball to him and it's like, all right, this is his his possession to get a bucket and he get it like that type of isolation and creation that he was able to do during summer league at least gives me confidence that 
he's got a future in the league for a long time. And like in a world where Duncan Robinson is getting $90 million, I do think that Quentin Grimes has like a $15 million a year payday at the minimum because of his elite shooting ability. Um, Macri did a, an interview with Quentin Grimes, trainer this off season. Um, and he, he did it for the newsletter and the primary focus that they had going into this off season was creation and being mm-hmm. better, like on the dribble, um, uh, create a uh, offensive player. So that way he isn't just like labeled as a three and D guy. So I'll listen, I'm actually with the Knicks on this. I'm not saying he should have been an untouchable in a, in a Mitchell trade, but I am very high on Quentin Grimes as a prospect and think he should probably be in the starting lineup by the middle of the season. Uh, yeah. And I don't think it was egregious to say that I viewed it as if you were giving up RJ Barrett and Quentin Grimes, in the deal for Donovan Mitchell, you probably ended up losing the deal because I think that one of those two would be that important to the makeup of the team mm-hmm. I, because I think Quentin Grimes is going to be really good. Uh, I probably fall a little bit lower on top and then Knicks fans. I might be a little bit higher on Quentin Grimes than a lot of the Knicks fans are. Uh, what are you, what are you envision for, Emmanuel quickly moving forward. What is the hope for him? It feels like his role could get a little bit fickle on this team too. So you, on what his role in the team would be is funny. So it depends who you ask amongst the, the Knicks Twitter verse, the Knicks content verse, and honestly just like around the Knicks in general. Um, I don't think this front office or this coaching staff views Emmanuel quickly as anything more than an elite, bench piece i think they view him like a microwave style defense uh, off the bench player where there are games he could come in and just kind of uh, hold hold the hold the lead or help expand the lead a little bit and um he, he not necessarily can run the offense because i don't think he's gonna run the offense much but i think they view him as your backup two that can also run the offense for a couple of possessions, but like Derek Rose is the mainstay and the driving force. And there will be games where he's got it cooking like the Miami game last year at the end of the season, where they entered the fourth quarter down 15 and he single-handedly with a 20 point fourth quarter erased a lead in Miami uh, against the team that was trying to get the one seed. Um, so I, that's what the Knicks think about him. They think he's a backup, two or one that could can you compete for six man of the year i actually think quickly will finish top three and that was my one of my hot takes in our preseason predictions i think he'll finish you know top three encouraging, for even if i disagree what because it means that he had played enough to be in that conversation well i'm also projecting like derrick rose is going to get hurt at some point this year so as a result like, manuel quickly taxes derrick rose into, right yeah. so like in the 40 games that he's not there manuel quickly's role will expand and because he's not competing with Kemba Walker or Alfred Payton or point guard Alec Burks, it'll make more sense that Jalen Brunson is getting more of the minutes at point guard and quickly can just be the backup one slash two that finishes with him from time to time. Um, and look, like that's a high lofty, like hot take projection on a podcast, but I do think he's going to be one of the more elite bench p- players in the NBA this season. And I will say, um, like, don't aggregate this, but like, we do have some sources around the league and close to quickly that are like, they're not happy with the fact that this is going to be year three and there's just no path to a starting role for him. Um, 
The guy's going to be extension eligible this offseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same could also be said about Obi Toppin going into year three. And there's just like no path to them getting significant playing time. And there may have been a path or, or, or a piece of him that was like, oh, so I can go to go to Utah and start and actually prove my worth and potentially get a payday coming soon. Um, yeah, I I think there's there's more they can get from quickly. And I think you'll see it in spurts that like, oh, quickly played 30 minutes tonight because Derrick Rose got hurt and he got to play in a nine man rotation. A lot of the backup one and the backup two minutes and he closed the game. Um, but, uh, we'll see. I, I, I'm not, I'm not optimistic that the Knicks will ever let him see his full potential, which is why I think in the role he's in, he'll be really good at it. What's your biggest concern, sir? What's your biggest concern for this team that we haven't talked about? Because there's the Julius Randle stuff. There's the rotation Mm -hmm. stuff. We talked a little about sort of the, not the lack of clarity, but ambiguity behind their direction. What is your maybe biggest on-court concern for them leading into this season? So I got to be honest with you. The, when I saw when I skimmed the, the rundown earlier and saw the question, I tried to think of one and I'm really high on the Knicks this year. And I'm probably one of the few that can do it coherently, you know, like, Oh, the Knicks are great. They're always like, I like, I'm not defending them blindly. Cause I, I'm like being a little rat. I like to think I'm being rational about this. Um, but like, I think they're going to be better than expected last season. I think they got better from what last year was. And there's a lot of basketball pieces that make sense. The thing that would concern me. And I'm like, we've talked about tanking before. This is going to be the summer. This is going to be not the summer, but the, the year of Wembenyama. And the Wembenyama sweepstakes are going to start pretty soon. And I know exactly one middle of the road team that's not even going to think about entering those sweepstakes. And it's the Knicks, who I think most people are thinking are the 10th best team. Like, if they're like on average, they're probably like the 10th best team in the East, um, give or take like Chicago fire sale or a Charlotte fire sale or. Like one other East team decides like to blow it up or what, whoever it is, what have you. I know the Knicks are going to try and win every single game they played this year. And I wonder if that's like the best laid path to contending in the future, which should like be like the point anyway. Um, that would be my only real concern is that like you have some teams going up and some teams going down and the Knicks are like, trying really hard to get to the middle and whether that's a good plan or not, you know, uh, I think that is an incredibly fair and coherent concern. Thank you. Uh, is there an underrated strength for this team roster? That's not being talked about enough on a national scale on a national scale, uh, on any scale. I like well, that. I feel so I've noticed if you ask just the question, there will be some like fans and fan bases that are like, well, we already knew all of this. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to even be fair, asshole fair. to them. So well, here's the other part. I know you, I know you talk about it. So I know it's tough for me to say a national scale to a national writer whose opinion I respect. And like, I know you would know what the Knicks strengths are, but I will say to anybody that doesn't watch the Knicks every night, like I do that may not think the Knicks have like a coherent plan going forward. I think they have a path to 46, 45 wins a path, whether it's, like certain to hit. I think that 145 was the number I said. Um, but 
the fact that they finally have a point guard in a Tom Thibodeau led offense that is focused on like your best player being someone that drives as much as possible. So Jalen Brunson is one their bench unit. I think will be the best bench unit in the league. The fact that you can go Derek Rose top three, six man of the year, two years ago, Obi top and Emmanuel quickly probably should be starting on a tanking team right now and overachieving as a result and doing the whole Sam Presti. Oh, they're good, but now they're hurt all of a sudden. Now we're got top five lottery odds. Um, you add in whether it's Quentin Grimes or Evan Fournier, an elite sharpshooter, so that you can space the floor. And then Isaiah Hartenstein, that will be a, a rim protector that also spaces the floor. Look, two seasons ago when Julius Randle was hitting every long two, that was an anomaly. I agree. What I think can be replicated from that year is they spent that entire season with the starting five just breaking even and a bench unit that was running away with it in the second and fourth quarter. That is something I think they're going to do to teams this season where the starting unit maybe breaks even or here's a wild thought has the lead, you know, and then the second unit just blitzes teams and expands on the lead going forward. And I think that their second unit is going to be so, so freaking good this season that it's going to lead to like, Oh wow. The Knicks won again by double digits. How'd that happen? Um, It won't, Lead to end. They're not going to win anything significant this year. But I just think they're going to win more than they did last season. I also think this team could wind up being just low-key, really good at generating more pressure on the basket than they did last mm. year. And they were sort of middle of the pack with it. And they were, I think they were like bottom three in actual finishing rate at the rim. Um, if you have someone like Isaiah Hartenstein who can be crafty around the basket, if Mitchell Robinson now has like a point guard to really lead him there with a Jalen Brunson, even minutes with Derrick Rose the pressure that RJ is now put on the basket. If it translates to better finishing uh, Brunson himself, Obi Toppin, And then if the second unit is going to be committed to getting out in transition and playing at a frenetic pace, they could be a team that might be able to devastate at the basket. Well, to add on to that, like the other, just like very simple thing about the rotation is like, there's nobody unplayable that I see right now. There will be moments when Julius struggles, but like there was no point last year where I was like, you can't play him. Like, I thought he deserved a spot in the rotation. I just thought it should have been less than 40 minutes a game. Um, I don't think anybody in this rotation is unplayable now. I think you have 10 guys. Like, there's no Alfred Paytons. There's no Kemba Walkers. You know, God bless. God I, bless Kemba. If if I was to pick someone that could devolve into that, it might be Cam Reddish. Well, he's not in the rotation. Well, that's also, if I don't think I even, did I list him in the rotation that I have for the next? No, No. he's the the 11th 11th man right now. That's the thing about it. That's amazing. Is that like, there is a cam hive. God bless you. If you're in the cam hive, I hope you believe in yourself the way that you believe in cam reddish. I don't personally see it, but like, I'm not against him going to a team that's bad and proving that he can, he deserves a rotation spot or a starting spot in an NBA on an NBA team. I just like, He's the 11th man on this team right now. Deuce McBride deserves minutes over him potentially. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I, the, talk to me defensively. Like, what, what do I need from the 11th man on this team? But a guy that you don't really need to, like, call a play for. He could just, like, be an elite defensive play. Like, you're not going to like this. But I really do think he's just, like, if you translate, do the, the Google translation from French to English. Or don't English do to this. French. Deuce McBride. <laughs> It's just the American translation of Frank Nilakina, where he's in a maybe not as elite defensively, but is definitely a better offensive player. And 
they both have a similar role. They don't, you don't have them come in and run your offense. You have them come in and do the little things really well. And they're like nine or 10th men on decent teams, which I think there's a path for both of those players. Like, Frank's going to be in the rotation this year for Dallas, not as the backup anything. Like he's not well, like they, the backup. They tried guard. it, which is a mistake. I love Frank Nilakina, but he is he's just been miscast. Where it's the Knicks wouldn't try him really to anything or consistently. And the Mavs have tried him out as a ball handler. It's not his game. He's like Deuce McBride, like you said. They're they're smaller three and D wings mm-hmm. is essentially what they are. And they even tried it. I I was I could not believe Tibbs did this in the second preseason game. Tried it out a second unit on Friday night of quickly Derrick Rose and Deuce McBride all on the court at the same time. I think it was just to see what it looks like, but Deuce was basically the backup three, and he's like six foot three. So I I think it is something that Tibbs is considering. Like I need to just find minutes. For this kid, whether or not like we're going to lose the height advantage, he's got a big body and can defend the post a lot better than guards his size can. Um, And his ability to defend the perimeter on ball players is just there are at times where he's just elite. six steals in the first preseason game. I get it. It's preseason. You don't want to overreact, but he was like this last year, too, when given the opportunity. And if he just learns how to hit more catch and shoot anything, catch and shoot shots that are, are available to him. I really think there's a world where Deuce McBride cracks the rotation way before Cam does, which I know is crazy to think, but I think for basketball reasons, it makes a lot of sense. What would be, and this is presented with the caveat, it could change with trades. What would you be your prediction for the 10-man rotation? It does feel like, not that this is locked in, but there are probably just like eight or nine locks here It mm-hmm. feels very, that are very clearly going to be in the 10-man rotation. So um, this is... What are you giving me? Like the first 10 games, the majority of the season, like if the Knicks don't make a move all season. Yeah, I want to know like what your what your, what your 10 minute or 10 minute 10 man rotation would be if you're if you're the coach from from day one. Oh, what mine then, would no, be? I'm sorry, your prediction for it. Excuse uh, me. Okay, cuz mine would be a little more radical than than what Mr. Thibodeau's would be. Uh, but Jalen Tim starting, I assume. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I'll tell you who wouldn't be starting and it's number 30. Um, <laughs> so Jalen Brunson Quentin Grimes. So within reason, Jalen Brunson, Quentin Grimes, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitch Robinson, um, with Derrick Rose, Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Emmanuel Quigley. I believe that is the exact ten minute rotation. 10, yeah. So I'm the fact that I had to think about whether Emmanuel Quigley was going to be in there made me uneasy. Not because I don't think he deserves to be, but I'm just like I'm wondering if the minutes are going to get too crowded. If you're not playing Cam Reddish. It'll help. And I need to see what Evan Fournier's role is supposed to be on this team and how many minutes he's getting. Uh, but I would, I would agree that like those are the names to focus on. In an ideal world, I'm not going to lie. I understand the use of Evan Fournier. I would rather see like McBride, Reddish, like, like explore. That's where I would be at with this team. I just I think we're both in agreement that that's not going to happen. I listen, Cam aside, I think there's like a future in Charlotte for him where like they have not done anything yet and except, you know, carefully stayed out of the spotlight because they're uh, starting small forward slash power forward is probably never going to play a game again. So like sending Cam Reddish there to, for like a second round pick to just play minutes might actually be in their future. Uh, but I'm not, Mayo quickly is very much part of the plan is what I'll say for, for starters. Um, that the, the conversation around quickly is more like, should he be a starter? Then will he be in the rotation? Like I'm confident he will not only be in the rotation, but play a lot of minutes for this team this year. It's just not as many as some believe he should be playing, you know? 
Yeah, I'm not, I don't think he won't play, to be clear. I just, I'm worried this is going to be like a 13 to 17 minute thing that it could devolve into. Like a, a, the case of Obi Toppin, but in the backcourt. Even though he played, he averaged 24 last season. Again, what if Derrick Rose stays healthy? What are they, how married are they to Evan Fournier? And if Quentin Grimes is factoring in all season, there are a bunch of just other factors that I think could Here's the first thing you said. Here's the first thing you said again. What if Derrick Rose stays healthy? Fine. I, look, like I said, <laughs> I haven't been in rotation. I'm just worried that he's. I mean, you even just said you outlaid your concerns that they're not going to actualize what could be the best version of uh, Emmanuel quickly. And I'm just very curious to see like whether his usage gets repressed if this roster doesn't either make another move or deal with some you know real absences or injury concerns. So the thing I keep going back to is the two versions of this team that under Tom Thibodeau that we've seen have had like very bad point guard play in the starting lineup. And that created opportunities for Derrick Rose to get the high usage that we saw because he wasn't like coming in because Tibbs prefers Derrick Rose. They legitimately needed him to come in and play 32 minutes, 35 minutes a game because Kemba looked cook or Alfred Payton was for some reason starting every game and just like did stuff that Tibbs Tibbs liked, you know? So, um, I think quickly now assumes the 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 Reggie Bullock role to an and that's not even Reggie Bullock because Reggie Bullock started. He assumes the Alec Burks role where Burks got a ton of opportunities for the Knicks and it was in a backup role. And if he had it cooking, he stayed in the game and closed it. And then when he wouldn't, he was fine being a backup. I think 18 to 25 to sometimes even 30 minutes for Emmanuel quickly will be the sweet spot. The the thing that you depending on who you talk to in the, in the Knicks verse is like, you know, why have you not given this kid consistent run of point guard yet to see what it is? You started Alec Burks over him for a majority of the season last year when Derrick Rose was playing 25 games and we still don't know what his ceiling is um, like a use of assets aside, like those being my concerns. I still think that the rotation spot is not just safe, but like will be maximized with quickly this year. And if look, look, they're wrong. Then the other part about this is I think they'll one of this head coach for much longer because they will lose games with that version of Emmanuel quickly, not getting a lot of time. Yeah. I was going to, how hot is Tibbs's seat entering the season? I think he's the first domino to fall. If things go wrong. I, I think the front office understands that I look not to bring this full circle. I think this front office came here because they convinced Dolan of two things. Um, one, that they will like make sure you never have to talk to the media again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's one. Um, and two, like we're built on relationships. And right. because like we're CAA, we know all these people around the league, like give it two years, Donovan Mitchell. Well, I think for them, they thought three years, Donovan Mitchell's here. Anthony Davis went to Kentucky. Like there's all the Kentucky connections that are going on around the league. They sold a bill of goods and like Tibbs will keep things competent. And then when we're ready to win, ready to win, we will turn things over to Johnny Bryant. And then this off season happened when I think of a, a more seasoned veteran GM gets that deal done. And despite like the asset, um, the assets you would have had to give up, the asset purge that the Knicks would have had, you still would have had like all these like bullshit protected picks that they got from OKC. And within a year or two, like you've got cap space as well. 
Um, you still have like if RJ's in the deal, fine, but you still kept quickly, you still kept OB. So like those could turn into pieces in the future. Um, and they didn't get them. So now there's an expectation to be like better. Like they can't have like a, a seven and fifteen start and the garden is raining down booze. There's actually so there's a day on the calendar that some of us at KFS have circled. It's December. I want to say it's December 4th. It's a home game on a Sunday night against Cleveland. And if Donovan Mitchell comes in there, I think it's 22 games into the season. Say like it drops the Knicks to seven and 15 and he goes in there, lights up the garden in a blowout win. There's a, there's a, a movement amongst some people that think that could be Tibbs's last game as Nick's head coach, if things go very wrong and it looks very bad and these kids are still getting like limited minutes because he doesn't trust them. Um, I think that's, that's the path to him being gone. Cause they will, he will be the first domino to fall if things go bad because they will, that's honestly what happens with a lot of front offices. Um, they fire the coach. They get their first firing of the head coach. It buys um, them time too. Exactly. If they're like, if they're allowed to hire the next coach, which, I do think after the, I won't call it botched Donovan Mitchell trade because I don't think that they should have made it, but maybe they got lucky in not making it. I don't know. Uh, but the the microscope is going to shift to Leon Rose and crew. If it's not there already, it's going to get there. If they're off to a slow start, it's going to get there pretty quickly. But you absolutely can call it botched, by the way. If you jump out of an airplane without a parachute, just because you land on your feet doesn't mean like you didn't just jump out of a plane without a parachute. Like You tried to jump out of a plane without a parachute. And like that's what no, they did. They... Something to the effect of they sold, like you said, Dolan upon coming here. And if you look at the three, the three players who were portrayed as the primary targets of this front office were Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, and Donovan Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Two of them are signed until the end of time now because they chose to extend. Mm-hmm. And then you missed on Donovan Mitchell. Um, I do wonder if this creates when the next guy becomes available. Are the Knicks going to be over? In like aggressive and going to get him. I don't know. I think that's a conversation for way down the road when we kind of have a sense of not just the trade market, but what these Knicks are. Um, and this is a more fun question on the heels of your, I agree with everything you say on Tibbs though. He's going to be the first guy gone. If it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I also, I don't think he's the, I don't think he's the coach they need. I never did. He did win coach of the year. It was a award that he certainly deserved. Even if it wasn't your choice. I don't think if you want to maximize a roster that I do think needs to give, enough reps to other kids who are not RJ Barrett uh, and Mitchell Robinson. If you throw him in that conversation, I just, I don't view him as the the right leader for, for this group. If you're married to the group of youngsters that you have, I don't view him as the right fit. If you believe you're going to trade for veterans by the trade deadline, it's a different discussion, but I've just never viewed him as that consummate fit uh, for, for the, for the, if you, if you're married to your youngsters, like I said, just, not necessarily pushback on that. I did think he was the right fit in the very basic sense. And this is where like the whole Knicks for clicks movement that that you and I have discussed at Knicks film school. And you and I have talked in private about how it was just like very easy to dunk on the Knicks for most of the last decade. You needed an adult in the room to come in and just set a floor for this franchise. Like we're not talking about a Knicks team that tried to win 50 and lost 50. Like, and look, he oversaw the return to the playoffs. Yes. And that was, that was a magical season, quite yes. frankly. So and I don't want to, I don't mean to detract that from him. He just never would have been my pick. Look, initially. There's, a, there's a version of this team that, and and like we've talked about Nick's film school that 
when during that that 2021 season when Randall was again making all these long twos, they fell to I want to say it was like 20 and 23 at some point. And like the the season could have gone in a certain direction and suddenly the Knicks are like competing for the lottery again and they're going after Cade Cunningham and they they instead decide to trade Julius Randall because you're at like his highest value possible. He's on a different team during that playoff run. And instead, and like, and like Julie, like Obi Toppin could have started and you could have saw what he was. Instead, they traded for Derrick Rose. Like that should tell you what they were trying to do. They're trying to just show like, we can win games in this league with this roster, with, with this version, with this head coach, with this development staff. And for the most part of the first season, they, for literally about a 48 win pace they did and then last season i think a little bit of regression to the mean from their best player as well as a derrick rose injury and going way too all in of the idea of kemba walker right um it backfired a bit and i think you're gonna see a regression the other way this season because they have the best point guard they've had since stefan marbury that's gonna be here i'm very big believer in in Jalen Brunson, especially with this head coach. Look, as far as whether he's the best person just to run help out more them, creative lineups or do something more inventive in crunch time, and he might win me over. I think, like, I just that stuff. Like, it, it just not it doesn't make me irate, but like mm-hmm. that's the stuff that bothers me the most. And him. I think with him that listen, I don't even necessarily disagree. I'm not married to the idea of Tom Thibodeau as head coach. I just think like. I know they're going to be competitive, which is not a promise I was made with the Knicks for the majority of the 21st century. So that's and what look, I if they are in fact it. prioritizing straddling the middle until they can decide which way they're going to go. Then, you know, I wouldn't give Tibbs my full endorsement, but then it, you understand more why he is like viewed as that or was yeah. is viewed as their guy. Yeah. I, I look, listen, I'm not even, I hate tanking. I hate not necessarily the, the, math like i do believe the math works and will always work out the idea that what it's done just to the entire fan world of like if you're not winning 60 games then you should be losing 60 games and rooting against potentially like the the kids that you're playing to win um because they're hurting your lottery odds is just against the philosophy i have with watching sports but like I would get behind a roster that had like the full measure of Emmanuel quickly starting with Quentin Grimes and RJ Barrett and um, Obi Toppin and Jericho Sims getting max minutes and Duke, Deuce McBride being a backup Frank Nilakina role and all these other, these kids getting max minutes and a lot of opportunities. I'd be all aboard an idea of this team can win 32 games. And I don't care what the win total is to be honest, because I just want to see what their ceilings are. Um, I just I'm resigned to the fact that they're not going to do that, unfortunately. And as a result, I think they're actually going to surprise a lot of people. Also, we've talked about this a lot lately. The NBA has like a Leonardo DiCaprio problem where like if you're 26, you're a veteran, you're old, you're you're done. Get him out of here. But if you're on your rookie contract, yeah, we could we could keep this thing going for a long time, you know. Like you're you're a kid, you're 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 amazing. But well, once you hit it, that 26, Obi Toppin is one year younger than Donovan Mitchell, and yet he's considered a kid. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I'm just still dying from the Leonardo DiCaprio problem. That's what it is. Julius Randle's 27 years old, and Knicks fans act like he's in his 15th season. Like we got to trade the vets. It's like. 
what are you talking about? J- Julius Randle is four years older than or three years older than Obi Toppin. Like, what are we doing here? Like, well, a lot of it's contractual too, because you like look at people saying that Shea needs to be traded from OKC because they're not going to win anytime soon. Right. He was on a five-year deal and is twenty-three years old. Let's relax. Is where I'd be at with that. But that was a tangent and a half. Mm-hmm. What? This is to some extent matchup dependent, but what will be the go-to crunch time unit for this team? Well, that's the tough part. Is that you said it's matchup um, based. So um, Jalen Brunson's in there. R.J. Barrett's in there. Hmm. Uh, one of Evan Fournier, Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes will be in there. One of Julius Randle or Obi Toppin will be in there. This You're is, naming cop, this the is such a top out answer. I know, I know. Because that's the thing. I really do think they're going to play the hot hand this season. I So I would be then, so I'll give you what my opinion would be. I'd be floored if RJ, Jalen, and Randall are not considered locks for the crunch time unit under Tibbs. I would be, okay. I would be honestly floored if those aren't the locks. I would go with Grimes, and then where I would toggle is at center with Robinson and Hartenstein, depending on what you think you need. I do think... This team, I think it will be Grimes at one point. I think it's going to be Robinson would be, is the other. That's my prediction of what their go time crunch time unit crunch time unit would be. I do agree with sort of the problem you were running into is this team is built more than most for for it to be a way more fluid answer um, on a night to night matchup to matchup basis. I guess this just goes back to two seasons ago with Tibbs. He played the hot hand throughout the entire fourth quarter for the majority of the season. Like he didn't. Like, you're probably right about Randall. There's just something about what Obi Toppin's been so far. Like, I get it. It's two games, and I'm also adding the last 11 last season. I'm also adding what Julius Randall was last year, where you kind of had to just, like, hope he figures it out. Like, they didn't have a lot of options to, to mm-hmm. go to from a creator standpoint. If he's the third option in this starting five, then why can't Obi take his crunch time minutes away? You know, especially if he's going to be better on catch-and-shoot threes, especially if he's going to be a more advantageous cutter and create these fast break opportunities that end up on every highlight reel that you watch on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm not putting it. I will say I'll believe it the first time that it happens. So I'm not projecting it to happen. I'm just like, not going to be surprised if like, it's a, it's a thing that Tibbs explores. Like Julius is three of 15 through three and a half quarters. Why am I going back to him for those scratch for the for crunch time when I have Obi who like we're we're either cutting a lead down or we're extending a lead with him on the floor, you know? So um I will say the only pushback or not necessarily pushback, but change I'd make as far as Grimes is concerned, because I would he would be in my crunch time five, uh, is Emmanuel quickly. I I do think they're gonna be a lot of closing minutes for Emmanuel quickly this season. Um and honestly, I, I probably would have him in my closing unit for this team as well oh wow that's impressive is there a bonkers weirdo quirky off the beaten path lineup you want tibbs to try this year with the benefit of reality uh, it doesn't have to be this is my favorite question to ask It'd be whatever you want it's a lineup you want to see what i want to see uh so obi and randall at the the four and five whatever unit you want it to be uh rj quickly and brunson I don't think it's even that that bonkers. It's just because they're not of- built. I'm gonna be. I'm not gonna lie. I think a lot about this question because it's my favorite one to ask. They're not built to get weird. Uh, no, that's why. Weird- because it's Tibbs. I have the, the weird part is like, oh, maximizing Obi Top and Julius Randle together. Uh, oh no. I want to see 
and I, I fully know that this won't happen. I want to see Grimes, RJ, McBride, Hartenstein, and Obi Toppin. I am one. I, I'm very intrigued by the Toppin-Hartenstein partnership up front, but I'm going to lean all the way into, oh, there's no question that RJ is the primary ball handler of that unit. And so mm-hmm. I'm steering all the way into that just to see what becomes of it. And so I'd love to see to see that lineup. So RJ had a couple of, had some had some stretches last year where he was the, like the, he ran with the RJ unit. plus bench units have killed yeah. at least I think last year, maybe even the past two seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Well, he didn't play much the first season with the, well, he, the Tibbs first season with the bench unit. He had like a couple of stretches when they were man down. Like Derrick Rose missed a whole month that, that, that we hear season that, uh, cause he had COVID and they were like, we don't have a backup, any like power forward. Oh, excuse me. Point guard. Right now, because it's Alfred Payton for 30 minutes and then Frank. And so, okay, RJ, we'll see what you can do with, with the second unit for a little bit. And then last season, it actually turned out to be when Derrick Rose got hurt, an advantageous thing, which part of that stretch where he was like averaging 24 a game, he was playing with the second unit. Um, I do think him playing with the second unit isn't play for this year. I just think it's going to be injury based. You know, all it takes is Derrick Rose's routine injury that cost him 30 games with one Fournier injury or one Cam Reddish. Well, not Cam Reddish one, uh, uh, Quentin Grimes injury. And RJ then suddenly is your backup three or your backup four. Well, I'm also in that line of pulling any pretense that there would be another, like I'm not including Rose or quickly out of, yeah. because if he plays with the bench quickly, he's going to be on there. I love quickly. I just want to see them lean all the way into RJ with the ball to see what happens. You really want to see and I think that I think is why you go to like Tibbs wasn't the right guy because he'd never just see what this RJ thing is like maximize RJ minute RJ's as much as we have so far. He's had the worst spacing in the league his all three years of his career and like putting RJ with spacing would be actually cool to see like what would have a lineup of him quickly Hartenstein Toppin and Grimes look like you know or even McBride like you said. Yeah, I still think he's the single most important player to that organization. I said it when Julius Randle had his breakout year. It was pretty evident last year. Jalen Brunson might be their best player right now. I still think RJ is the single most important person in that organization. Probably right. They've clearly... See, the only pushback I'll give, they tried to trade him for Donovan Mitchell. They don't even think he's... Well, that's part of his importance is he's either the guy that's going to help you get a star or he's the guy that you feel confident pairing that next star with or he's just the only guy that you have right now with a clear path to developing into a star. But I guess my my counter is like, I don't think they think he's going to become a star. You know, I guess maybe to your point, whether or not he becomes a star is the most important question to the organization um, going forward. But I just think his overall value to them, to other teams, that is probably just like the most defining factor of the next few years for the team. I mean, there, and he is there. If you think, that the, he's their only chance right now at internally developing a star, unless you really that yeah. high on Obi Toppin. It's, no, it's framed that way. Yes. Um, I think because I see him like, okay, in a world where Shea Gilders Alexander does become it, available, which I don't think is a world that exists anytime soon. Um, RJ's the, the headline of that trade in a world. Devin Booker becomes available because he just like, is done with Phoenix. Like, RJ Barrett is the centerpiece of that trade. He is the centerpiece of all trades going forward. And this summer proves that Um, whether or not he develops into a much more efficient player, that's a borderline all-star 
is a wait and see me. And because I think the bigger question I have is, can they offload Julius Randle? Would they choose to offload Julius Randle because he's playing like a more efficient player and can be comfortable as the third option on a team that's actually trying to win games? And would they trade him given the opportunity to another team that's trying to win more games and offload the contract as a result? But um, you're not wrong about like RJ's value dictating a lot of their plans going forward. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to, to end this on like a too optimistic a note. I really do think like if he does, if he's just kind of the same player he was last year, it's not going to change much. Like I, I do think that like the added benefit of like, if they, if what, if what RJ was last year and what R, like Randall was three years ago, like that's what I'm not even like, it's weird. I have to go three years to do this um, added with Jalen Brunson. I think the Knicks will be better, which like might bother some people that root for the team. Cause they want this team to either be really bad or really good. But the best thing I can say right now, they're going to be better. And even if it's not necessarily good enough, as we record this, their win total is still set at 38. 0.5 and it sounds hit, like you would smash the, the over I've, on that. I have smashed the over. I don't get that number. I I would say while I would pick the over as well, mm-hmm. you the East is really good and wins are gonna be the Knicks could be better than last season. Progress isn't always linear. It's not gonna be always reflected in the win total. Wins could be really hard to come by in the East this year. Now that's if you're thirty eight and a half. That's the number? Thirty eight and a half? It's 38.5 is the one I checked it before I sent you an outline this morning. So they won 37 games last year with Kemba Walker at starting point guard and Ke- and Kemba Walker and Alec Burks is their point guard. So Jalen Brunson and Art- Isaiah Hartenstein are worth two more wins. I, I do think there's a scenario where they hit the under. I think there would not be my prediction. I want to make clear. I just mm-hmm. think it's a fair over under because this is the follow up question to it. Where do you see them sitting in the East? Because if you think it's ninth or 10th, we're not talking about 43, 45 wins at that point. Both nine and 10 last year won 43 games. In this, but I'm looking at, the, if you look at the first eight in the East, if mm-hmm. it's, and there could be injuries that change things, but having Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, whatever the hell Brooklyn is, the Cavs making their move right there. You can bank, I guess, on Chicago is going to be worse this year without Lonzo or go through like its own. Which I am, which I am. Which is fine, but like Toronto is still going to be right there. There is. I don't have them higher than eighth. Like, I think there is a conversation with Atlanta, but I don't. Like, I think eighth or ninth is where I'd have them, which I think would be 45, 43 to 45 wins. I think the bottom of the East is going to be very bad. People are going to want to tank as much as possible for this this superstar in the making. Like that is a thing. I think we're. I guess what we're. And this is coming from someone who's, who would hit the over. I think we're just in disagreement on how many teams I would guarantee that they're actually going to be better than. And while I could see a scenario where Charlotte and Washington turn completely the other way, I wouldn't sit here specifically and guarantee that the Knicks are going to be better than both of those teams right now. Oh, okay. Yeah, we disagree. I think. I think they're absolutely going to be better than Charlotte, especially since we don't – I don't think you think the Miles Bridges is going to play basketball anytime soon. Um, yeah, with Charlotte, it's – I think Steve Clifford is a coach that overachieves, especially on defense with his team, so there's added wins there. You have 
a transcendent star in Lamella Ball. There are some interesting supporting cast pieces. Again, my pick with them is I think they're going to end up leaning into the tank. I'm just, I look at Detroit, Orlando, and Indiana. Those are the teams that I would guarantee the Knicks are going to be better than because mm-hmm. Washington and Charlotte, to me, and Chicago all sort of hover in that weird gray territory that we've discussed that the Knicks are in right now. And so to me, there are non worst case scenarios for the Knicks where they're not tanking or they're not dealing with a bunch of injuries where they come closer to hitting that line or falling under that line. Then it does seem a lot of Knicks fans just seem miffed at how low this, this line is. I just don't think it's, it's as egregious. I just, I don't see how like the, the argument I would make is that their division is four teams that might, that could come out of the East. Um, but so like my hot take with Chicago, I don't think the Rosen and Vooch are on the team the entire season. I think they get off. I think they, I, I know the low and other people have made the, the comp. I made it on the, our pod the other day, or at least the, the take that like the Lakers still have two picks that they haven't traded and a Russell Westbrook expiring contract. Like, that, that's waiting for DeRozan and Vooch to get traded to LA along with two firsts to basically match two firsts, especially, especially since Chicago has like Orlando has Chicago's pick this year, but it's top four protected. So similar to the Houston um, situation from two years ago with James Harden, they were fine not getting anybody worth a damn back in the trade because they wanted to be as high in their odds as possible going into the lottery. And, I could see them pivoting into a tank and it's like, oh, go go have a phantom injury, Zach Levine. I understand you just signed long term, but the reason we signed you long term is because, you know, we can kind of do uh, whatever we we can lock you up and then be able to pivot to some type of deal. I think Chicago's a team also you could convince me are pivoting to a tank sometime soon. And as far as the Wizards, I would I, I'll see it like I, I will agree with you, like I, I will see it through. You're just going to have to convince me that a team with Bradley Beal, Kristaps Porzingis as your best players is getting a, a benefit of health conversation um, for an 82 game season. And I'll just, I'll just flat out believe it when I see it. And I hear you on Steve Clifford overachieving, but you want to talk about overachieving about the guy that took a projected 22 win team from two years ago and had him as a four seed. Like you want to talk about overachieving it's Tom Thibodeau. And now he's actually got like his, basically his godson on the roster. Although, Technically, Jalen Brunson is Leon Rose's godson. So that actually is what happened. Anything else that we haven't talked about with this team you think needs to be? I can tell this me defending the Knicks over is exhausting. (laughs) No, I look, I hit the over. It's fine Uh that we disagree. um, But I'm like, I've I've already laid out my case. This is me hitting the over. And I agree that the, the tanking candidates you laid out. But you talk, I think the Knicks are not in the tanking conversation, but like we, we were including myself, we were all so drunk on them leading into last year. And we, that team still happened. And like, there's a lot of question marks with this one still, whereas the offensive hierarchy, who is their second best player? And if it is RJ Barrett, what does that actually mean for their win total? What are you getting from Julius Randall? And if he's having another bad year, do they have the gall to actually pull the plug, even if they're not trading him? And so while you can talk about the health in Washington, the, like the, there's really nothing impressive about Charlotte aside from Lomelo ball mm-hmm. right now. And I, I think Steve Clifford will give a shit about defense, which matters to that team. But like the Knicks are in that, the, you know what the issue is for me is mm-hmm. they would be the team least likely to tank, which inflates their win total. But I would also argue is too narrow minded a way of thinking of viewing your organization. That's a different discussion. I just think when we're outlining these worst case scenarios for other teams, 
like there is like the Knicks have their own version of those worst case scenarios minus the egregious tanking. I don't think the depth that it looks like they have on paper excuses them from that. And I guess the biggest disagreement I think we have today is like, I don't see it. I don't see the worst case scenario that isn't injury related. You know, I don't see the basketball reason that the Knicks, especially since they're probably irresponsibly going to try and win as many games as possible this season. There will not be a pivot. Emmanuel quickly was sitting there as a sixth man to Alec Burks for 70 games last year because they just refused to give in to one like, hey, let's just see what this looks like for 10 weeks. He started three games last year when Derrick Rose missed 60% of the season. Um, so, yeah, look, I maybe I will lose some money as a result. of. I'm not even. I, and But the other thing is, like, they're also their margin for error in this discussion isn't necessarily huge because we've already agreed that there are probably eight teams that you would put in front of them. You have questions about Atlanta. I have questions about Atlanta. I wouldn't throw Chicago there. But just by virtue of having, unless you think the Cavs are going to flop this year, there's Miami, there's Boston, there's Milwaukee, there's Philly, there's Toronto. You're at six right there. If Brooklyn at least stays together, like that's the seventh team. So the margin for error just isn't a ton for the Knicks where it feels like their ceiling in this conference is eight. And maybe like I'm the, the seating is not what I'm disagreeing on. It's the they're going to win more than two games than they did last year. That's literally my whole my only take. Like if 30 like 38. No, the Knicks going 36 and 46 this year would be one of like every, fire everybody at that point, because then something something went really wrong and you're wasting these rookie contracts very poorly. You know. Fair enough. I Again, we just fundamentally disagree there, I think. Uh, and this is coming from someone who would also hit the over. I want to make that clear. I think this is easily the biggest discrepancy I've had yeah, with someone I who agree. I'm in agreement with that they probably win more than 39 games. Um, I, we'll see. I almost want to make a friendly wager with you now. I know you said you'd hit the over, but now you're you're banking on worst-case scenario. Like, I'm, I'm banking on worst-case scenario? No, I'm saying well, no, that's... you're not banking because you're, <laughs> you're actually betting you would hit the over. I just... I don't see the basketball worst case scenario that is a 36 win team. I so think there, this is. Are you saying the worst case scenario is 39 wins? Yes. Is what you're saying. The worst case scenario is under 500 for me, to be honest. Like, I think, because again, I'm saying it's to a fault. They will try to win every game possible this season. When, and this might also be me not thinking highly of the rest of the league, that around December, when it's clear that our team is out of it, so, uh, so many like t- GMs we're not even thinking of. Pat Riley is like, all right, we're hovering around 500. This probably won't be a championship season. Jimmy, Kyle, take the year off. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna pivot to a like I'm, I'm obviously I'm mostly kidding there, but I think you're gonna see some chicanery in this 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 league trying to set up tanks for for Wembenyama. This is like imagine if Kareem suddenly became available, but he was seven six and had ter- Kevin Durant's perimeter game. You know, like, I really think the Knicks are just going to, while everybody else is trying to strategically lose games, the Knicks are going to be like, well, how can we beat this team tonight? You know, almost to their detriment. Uh, we were we were at a banner pace for us until we got yeah, on to then, this discussion. Then you offended. Well, this is where I, I have to stand with the rest of Knicks Twitter and push back on you. Is there anything else that we have not discussed or argued or disagreed about that you think we need to hit on before I let you go? Um, no, I, I think you believe me. I think we hit all of it. Uh, I do think despite 
despite like any concerns I have about like the ceiling of his team in the East, because I do agree it's better. Um, I do think this would be a significantly more watchable season for the Knicks, which that's, I think, the biggest critique I have on last season. Not that they lost 45 games or that they missed the play in just like there was like 40 games that I just did not enjoy watching the Knicks because there was like 12 minutes of joy when Mayo quickly and Obi Toppin and some of these younger players got opportunities. And then I had to see if Taj Gibson could help anchor a defense in the fourth quarter. And I think they're going to be much better and, and much more skilled this season. Yeah. And I think anyone who's unhappy with the direction or the Jalen Brunson signing, he is still like an incredibly talented player. That's going to be great for this roster. Can I give you a hotter take? Are you going to push back on that? Yeah. He's actually a top five player, Dan. Is that well, the- duh. First of all, why do you hate Jalen Brunson? <laughs> Second of all, um, not only will Jalen Brunson be a welcome addition, as you were just saying, like, there's there's like 12th all-star potential for him. Like, I think this could be Jalen Brunson's first all-star season. He's I do have money out there. It's plus 1,200. I think I got him at for most improved player. Um, I hope you enjoy that money on fire. I was about to one. say I might have lit that money on fire, but it's not like I'm paying for a wedding or saving for a wedding anytime soon. Anything yeah, like you that. don't have a future you need to plan for. Yeah, not at all. But again, you you. You put you you have throw a take out there. You put your money where your mouth is. And if I need need to remind you, Mister Favalli, um, there's an engagement ring that I paid for because I hit Julius Randall at plus five thousand for most improved player. So I did not know that's how you pay for your engagement ring. Well, I'm bad at all of it, but helped. Well, okay, I also said the the number out loud, so it was out there. But uh, let's just say it helped me be more comfortable with the process of proposing when I could very comfortably. Pr- afford said engagement ring but yeah that's like randall bringing couples together look at right that's why like the julius randall last season was so heartbreaking for me because he's literally part of my like story you know so i it's tough for me to like slander the man that like was responsible during one of the years that i got my life together um well that is fantastic at least and look if i could bet on the number of teams that we mentioned in that like group of the knicks that are going to be better than the knicks I would put my money where my mouth is there, but it, it seems like that's where we just digress on the over under of like the Hornets, Wizards, Bulls, the so, over under on those teams being better than the Knicks. It's literally the 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 only disagreement I think we have because we did so I we did a bit on KFS called Claudio Casino, where I set my own lines and I said like over under eight and a half teams better than higher than the Knicks in the East standings, and we all took the the over that like there would be at least eight. You know, we are way so, too aligned to be in disagree. disagree well, again, it's just I think 43 wins was the 10 seed last year. And Fair. I think the Knicks can win 40 and be the 10 seed. And I think they'll win 43 at least and be the nine or eight seed. Like, I, I think that's the way this goes. I just like under 38 wins is like, really? So it's they only low. won. Yes, that's, I agree. That's it's too I low. Yeah. Um, but if you told me for if the line was like 40. Point five. That's be a, a better conversation. It would be a harder thing for me to smash. That's a that that I actually agree with you. It really is like a we spent twenty minutes arguing over two wins. I think I um, don't see how this isn't a forty win team. So Andrew, in case anyone skipped the intro, can you let our <laughs> listeners know where they can find you and all the great work that you do? You can find me on Twitter at Andrew J Claudio underscore. You could find all of our work over at Nick's Film School, whether it be on Twitter, Instagram. TikTok. We've officially launched a TikTok. Um, joining in with all the kids as well as Dan Valley, who's on TikTok. Um, 
you can follow us on uh, on all the social medias and all the uh, on YouTube as well as our podcast. Um, anywhere podcasts are available, we do uh, every pod every off day. We do a podcast as well as during the season. We have a post game live stream as well as and I'll, I'll like hint this to you because you're you're my boy. But we're also launching a pregame show throughout this season that I'll be hosting. Um, so if yes, you wanna, I love Andrew, the host, if you want a more defense of two wins that the Knicks are going to win 40 games instead of 38 uh, on the pregame show, you can tune into the Knicks film school, YouTube channel. Um, and then after the game with Mr. Macri, uh, you hear them break it down. Um, all 44 of the Knicks victories this season. Oh, uh, I echo everything you said, though. Nick's Film School is fantastic. Anyone who listens to this pod knows uh, how I feel about you guys. So go follow Andrew. Go check out Nick's Film School. Uh, as you know by now, I will be pestering you again down the line, though. Thank you so much for being generous with your time, Andrew. Absolutely. I love coming on here, Dan. Thank you. <laughs>